Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name. Isn't it exciting to have a Sunday school lesson like that? Looking at a parable of working and being encouraged to work in God's vineyard. The thought that I was impressed with was the fact that their needs were physically met no matter if they work one hour or all day. Truly is a blessing to come together to worship a holy God. My message here this morning is going to somewhat go hand in hand. Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? This spurred me. This was an article that I found in one of my farm magazines. It was in my last one. I always find them somewhat interesting. Not always totally agree with them, but this is what got me thinking about this. How many of you thought about your eyes this morning? Nobody. Okay. Not even the ones with glasses. I see. I saw one with glasses shaking his head. He didn't even think about it. I thought maybe you would. We take our eyes for granted. I don't need any assistance as of yet. I don't know when, but I feel like my eyes are still good yet that I can see and read. But I'm sure that there will come a time where I will need something to help that. Are you glad for your eyes? I know these are basic questions, but if you didn't think about your eyes this morning, are you glad for your eyes? How well would you have managed getting here this morning if you didn't have your eyesight? It would have been a lot different. God created us with two eyes. I would think most of us have two eyes. You look like you all have two eyes. And we have two ears. Proverbs 20, verse 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. You know, sometimes, maybe I'll show my, I don't know, humanness or ignorance or whatever you want to call it. But did you ever entertain the thought or the idea, if you were to give up one of your senses, which one would they be? Would your eyes be one of them? Or would your ears be one of them? Which one would you give up if you had to give up one, if you had a choice to make? I have a feeling that eyes would be probably fairly high on the list as far as wanting to keep them. There are people that still are born blind, people that still go blind. But you know, it's amazing with what doctors are able to do today to help correct your eyes. Did you know that your eyelid muscle is that controls the eyelid is one of the fastest muscles in your body? 
All it takes is a speck of something to fly at you, and you don't even think about it, and your eyelid is wincing shut faster than what you could think. And I remember being a child, or I was fairly young, but we took a trip to the science museum, I think it was a school trip, and they had a, an instrument there that had a yardstick on it, as I remember, and, and you were supposed to gauge yourself how fast your reflexes were. How many of them remember that? Is it still there? It's been a long time since I've been there. It's still there? Probably is. I was, I was intrigued by that because I wanted to be fast. And, you know, from the time that your eyes saw that thing drop until you grab it, they had a range that you, you missed so many inches because of that range. And I remember falling in that range, but I was determined to get above that range. And I could. From the time my eyes saw that ruler drop, or that yardstick drop, till I grabbed it, I was within that range. Now that's using my eyes to communicate to my brain, to communicate to my hand what to do. Also, on tour in 1998, we did a trip up to Western Ontario, and we had the, I think it was at Kenora, they did a a youth activity there with all of us young people, actually did a couple. One was where they blindfolded all of us, and they had the leader at the beginning of a rope, and all the rest of us were blindfolded. We had to maneuver through a backyard course maze whatever without hitting things but we had to relay the instruction all the way back through so we knew what was coming up ahead talk about confusion without the eyes we also did what they call the faith fall where they blindfold you and you just fall backwards off of something that's relatively high hoping that you will get caught it all ended well Have you ever looked at a 3D picture? Those used to fascinate me. It's a picture with a bunch of lines. And as you stare, and as you gaze on it, all of a sudden, there's a picture that there's depth to it, and it comes to life. There's power in that picture all of a sudden. Well, look just like a normal flat picture, not even a picture, just a bunch of scribbles. As you look at it, there's something that pops out. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We were looking at a parable this morning. And we looked at parables in a few of other other Sunday school lessons as well. And so the context of this scripture is based on on this. Matthew 13, verse 11. I'll read verse 11 and I'll read through verse 17. These are the scriptures for my title here this morning. Matthew 13, verse 11. He answered and said unto them, 
because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundantly. But whoso hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is the fulfillment, the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, <clears throat> By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are ye, are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. So it is with the parable, Jesus' parable. They're not just a mirror of words, a story. They are that, but there is hidden treasures, hidden nuggets that are deep within them. And they're truths that pertain to the kingdom of God. And it's a treasure worth seeking after. God's welcome to the repentant sinner. He seeks those that are lost. And it's in that that these spirit that we need the spiritual the, our spiritual eyes to see and to hear. Verse eleven talks about it <clears throat> being concealed from those or the it talks about it being a mystery, so it being concealed from their understanding. The harmless and innocent stories which Jesus told gave nothing at all for the Pharisees or those that were trying to trip him to report back. They were just a story to them. But these mysteries of the kingdom that he mentioned to uh, portrayed a redemptive message that appeared mysterious to those that were in the secular world or the materialistic person as well. But it had a connection with Jesus the Messiah. And this mystery is being made revealed. So if you think of a mystery, sometimes you think of it as being something that's unknown or uh, you don't have the answer to it. Well, this mystery here, if I understand correctly, has the idea of it's it was told of and now it's being revealed through Jesus. And there at the end of the script of the verses that I read there in verse 17, it talked about the prophets and even the righteous men being, uh, how does it say, desiring to see these things. You know, they, they would have loved to, to have seen it. 
God alone is the source of our spiritual eyes and undivided heart. Only He can make blind eyes see and deaf ears hear. Only He can make our dead taste buds hunger. Only He can soften our hard hearts. If you'll look at the beginning of chapter 13, prior to the verses that we read, you'll notice that in this setting there was a great multitude of people and Jesus is teaching them and he spake many things unto them in parables saying and that's what leads us to this section of verses here because the disciples in verse 10 there said they came unto him and said unto him why speakest thou unto them in parables the disciples asked the question why do you use a parable but it's those <clears throat> who stopped and listened it's those who asked the hard questions the tough questions they are the ones that got the understanding they are the ones that got the insight into the story of the parable the mysteries became light You know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's exciting when your light bulb is turned on. That may be a matter, um, rather amusing, but I have a video of Declan when he was learning to read. And it's special now because Crispy was the one that was teaching him. And He's going through, sounding out each letter. And to me, it doesn't make any sense. But as he is grasping the sound of each letter, she told him, now do it faster. And it's as he does it faster, all of a sudden, ding! And he gets this excited look on his face. And then he says the word. It all flows together so nicely. Sometimes that's like us when these truths and parables, they, we have to let it sink in, maybe hit it a third time or fourth time, and the bulb comes on. As parents, we are excited when we see that. At least I was. But I had to think, you know, how excited is God when He looks at His children? And we, and he catches, and he sees his children catching on to the truths, the mysteries that he has for you. You know, sometimes the lessons are not easy. But I believe that we have an open book test. It's not a closed book. We have the Bible. Psalms 1, 19, 18 says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. We have 
what we need. When I was back in training, there was times in the class that things would get a little boring and the instructor would say, I want you guys to pay attention now because this is going to be on the test. Trust me, if you weren't paying attention before or weren't keeping notes, if you looked around, the tenor of the room was everybody was writing. It was time to pay attention, time to take note that this is important. Does God do that to us sometimes when things are a little bit coasting along? Maybe we're getting careless. God says, hey, I want you to take note here. I have a lesson. This may be part of a test someday. I'd also like you to think of reading the Bible, the Word. I would like you to think of it reading with glasses. You know, right now I don't need glasses to read. But I'd like us to think of that concept, though, of the Holy Spirit being our glasses. And as we get into God's Word, we need the Holy Spirit to be that I'll just use glasses. I don't want to lower the Holy Spirit to glasses, but we need to look through that lens of the Holy Spirit being able to reveal these mysteries, the truth that is in God's Word. We can People look at God's Word and they can read it. Yes, it's a book. There's many good stories in it. There's lots of good morals in it. But if you stop at that, that's all you get. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what we read and to help bring life to the pages and words that are in God's Word. The next time you read God's Word, ask the Holy Spirit to help open up some new truths. In this article that um, I got my title from. He talked about, I'll just relay the story, but he talked about um, his experience of of a life of, of the parable and, and how things in life can... Um, there's, there's, there's things that happen in our life that we can learn lessons from. And he said, um, actually it's a she, I think, that writes the article. Um... She said that morning she prayed that God would reveal truth to her that day and in whatever way. And, and as she was waiting for this um, to happen, she went for a walk or a run or whatever, and she happened to see this black thing in the tree flapping. And, and uh, so as she got closer, she started becoming angry that someone had snared a crow in a tree. And just hung it there. As she got closer, she realized, oh, it was the crow's own fault. He had got um, enticed into a plastic six-pack holder of a whatever pop thing and had got himself entangled in a tree. But as she said, as, as she was able to approach that crow, the crow 
allowed her to touch it and to hold it and to free it. And as she was able to free it, it hit her how this is kind of like us. Sometimes we're bound by things in this world. And as she watched this crow spread its wings and take flight for freedom, she's like, why can't that be me? I want freedom. And that parable of that taught her a lesson that we can have freedom. We are free if we accept God's plan. I'm going to shift a little. Another way we can look at our eyes and ears is that uh, as of gates. Gates into a city. You think about your eyes and your ears. Gates offer protection to a city. What protection does it give? It gives security to the people that are inside to go about whatever they're going about doing. It's protection. It's So there's no hurt, no harm to them. I believe the same can go for eyes and ears. Do we have gates that close or open to allow what we want or don't want into our city, into harm or hurt us? Sometimes we can't help what we see or maybe help what we hear, but it's what we do with it after that. Do we go for another look? We can plug our ears. In Matthew 6, verse 22, let's just turn there. We're real close. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. The eye is the lamp of the body. Here our Lord is describing the eye as a lamp. And it lights the whole body. Our eye is an entrance into our heart and our minds. It's a doorway into our soul. When he refers to good eyes, I don't believe it means just eyes that see well, but I believe it means eyes that perceive and make a difference between what is right and what is wrong, between godliness and ungodliness, between light and darkness. Those are the eyes. What a good eye. Bad eyes will lead to bad perception. You can have a lighted room. You can have the sun at full noon, fully bright and no shadows around. But if you're allowing your eyes to feed on the darkness, you are going to still be stumbling and you're going to still be falling and groping and finding, trying to find things to hang on. There is light. And we can chase that darkness away with the light of God and the power of His Word. Our eyes can be used to see that which is good and evil, that which is beneficial or harmful. But it's what we perceive that affects our whole being. And 
And I believe what is in our heart is also going to be dictating what our eyes and ears, where we go, what we linger on, what we feed on. And it's going to corrupt those that are around us. I couldn't help but think of the account in the Old Testament um, when Samuel came to uh, anoint David as king. You know, there um, Samuel was looking at the physical characteristics of the boys, thinking, well, this would make a good king. And it wasn't until the last one that was David. And God said, I don't look on the appearance, on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. I believe the temperature of our heart determines by what we are doing with our eyes and ears. The choice is ours. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. You know, Satan can disi- Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. And that is a great deception. Because it is hard to know sometimes what is light and what is true light. But I believe it is as we familiar, familiarize ourselves with God's Word and the truth that if there's things that may not just seem quite right, and we can't put a finger on it. We still have to go with what we know is right. Second Corinthians 11.14 talks about Satan as being that angel of light. His intention is to blind us of the truth and to corrupt our minds. And he uses our eyes to gain the entrance into our heart. He will parade before us all manners of evil. He can parade the deluge of pornography to the endless barrage of world's goods that appear to our materialistic impulses. He deluges us into believing that these things make us happy. They fulfill people, but ultimately they are robbing us of the very joy that we are longing for. He wants us to allow more and more darkness into our minds through whatever books we read, movies we watch. David had a good concept of this, and you can find that in Psalms 101, 3. In the Psalm of David, Psalms 101.3, David said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. I hate the works of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. In that way, the light of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ is obscuring, obscured to us. But as we accept that light and Jesus comes into our life, then that light can shine through us. It can blaze out of us. 
we want to be filled with the true light, we have to say no to sin, repent. We got to start over, and we need to open and ask for spiritual eyes. And then we need to commit to being careful with those eyes, guarding our eyes, guarding our ears. I like the idea of keeping our eyes on the road. Have you heard that lately? Sean's mastering his driving. He's doing a great job. I won't divulge into any stories. But I can tell you a story of something that happened to me when I was driving. If my parents don't mind me sharing this, it's okay if I share it that way, not the other way, right? Traveling on I-90 and I-94, as I recall, it was the middle of the night, minding my own business, at least I thought I was. I don't remember who it was, but somebody from the back seat started tapping me pretty hard on the shoulder and saying, Delvin, are you awake? Delvin, are you awake? Well, if I wasn't awake, I was awake for sure by then. And it's where the 90 splits off, and I think it's because it's a left exit, and I was in the left lane. Probably, if you would have been sleeping, could have felt like you were going off the road. I had enough adrenaline for the rest of the way to stay awake for the way home. But staying on the road, keeping your eyes on the road. On a more serious note, even seasoned drivers can drift off the road. When we become comfortable and careless. And then it causes me to ask the question, is it okay to go in the ditch? I have visited the ditches a few times in my driving years. Maybe those could be stories for another message. But the Christian life is like this. We need to keep our eyes on the road. You know, we can look back and we can spend too much time looking back and we're going to lose focus on the road ahead of us. We need to stay focused and keep moving forward. There's a story of a man who was losing his memory and after some time, he went to the doctor to get evaluated. The doctor said, there is something I can do for your memory, but it's going to require surgery. And in this process, there's the possibility that you could lose your eyesight. So it's either between memory or eyesight. The man said, well, let me think about it. After a while, he came back to the doctor. He said, well, I've decided that I want to keep my eyesight. The doctor said, well, how did you come to that conclusion? He said, well, I've realized that if I keep my eyesight, I can keep moving ahead. But if I keep my memory, I'm, on, I'm only going to remember where I was. And I think sometimes that we need to 
keep that in perspective. It's okay to look back. If there's things that have happened, sometimes we have to take care of those things. But we can't make that our driving focus. We need to keep moving forward too. A very familiar account of Paul talking about setting his eyes on the prize, pushing forward, striving. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. My Bible titles this, The High Calling of God. Philippians 3, 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things. <coughs> Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us as an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, whose mind, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. <clears throat> and I'll stop reading there. Paul wasn't a perfect man. We know that. But he followed a perfect man that was Jesus. Paul's life was marred by sin. But it's only by the grace of God. Paul mentions forgetting that which is behind me and pressing on, straining toward the goal. If you cannot forget your past mistakes, you're going to have a hard time, a tough time at perseverance. Did it ever, did the thought ever cross your mind about Paul? Like, did he agonize over the death that he was part of, the stoning of Stephen, and many others that he could have been part of. You know, Paul had to put that aside. He could have left that change. I mean, that could have affected him. A person who keeps his eyes on the road, we must move past the mistakes. We somehow have to forget the pain of past embarrassment and move on with purpose. You want to win? I want to win? Then we, like Paul, must come face to face with the grace of God, accept that grace, and run like an Olympic marathoner, aim for the finish line. 
Without perseverance, you'll never know victory. Without hanging in there and following Christ on a daily basis for all the days of your life, victory is going to be impossible. But I can tell you with assurance that keeping your eyes on the road and God is your focus, the victory is certain. I'm going to close with another story. This story is of Dake Axel in October of 1984. They held the annual marathon in Richmond, Virginia. There was 831 runners that started the race. And this race covered a tortuous 26.2 miles. In three hours, there was a winner that had crossed the finish line. And only a handful of people knew this 10-year-old Dick Axel. And he was still running. What Dake was doing, however, wasn't really a run. It was more of a fast shuffle. Dake was born with a spinal bidifa, however you say that, and the doctors were sure that he would never walk. If he lived at all, but he learned how to walk, he used heavy leg braces and crutches, he developed a love for running, and he aimed for the toughest race of all. So as he swung those leg braces down the road of his marathon, more and more people heard, and he was still running. Twice near the end, he had to stop and change gloves and rewrap the gauze around his forearm. But each time he got up, the race got up, he raced again. Finally, he came to the finish. It took him 11 hours and 10 minutes to get there, and the race had officially ended an hour and a half earlier. The officials, the helpers who had run the race earlier had all packed their bags and gone but as Dake neared the finish line word spread like wildfire officers found the finish line and put it up again and more than a thousand people cheered wildly as Dake pressed on and many wept when he finally finished his marathon more than half the runners with good legs couldn't finish the race but Dake became the biggest winner of the day simply because he pressed on toward the goal it didn't matter that his time was slow what mattered is that he finished. And that's the challenge for us. And it goes with our Sunday school lesson. If we compare ourselves among ourselves, it's foolish. But it's as we each have a race to run, let's win it. Even if it takes longer, twice as long, three times as long, 